Okay, welcome back to Talking Knicks, presented by John Boy Media. I'm Tom Piccolo, coming at you with another episode. We are taping this on a snowy Saturday evening. Uh, the Knicks are, are coming off a, a real rough week, having lost three straight, including last night's like midnight blowout loss to the to the Bucks. Um, so yeah, I mean, we're going to talk about is there hope? What should we even be hoping for? Um, I'm joined today by my co-host and dear friend, Kenny Poon. We're going to get into all of it, so let's do it. Let's talk Knicks. All right, before we jump into the Knicks talk, I'm joined by Kenny. Kenny, how you doing, man? Hey, Tom. I'm uh, like so many of us in the Northeast. I'm currently snowed in. I uh, thought ahead yesterday and ordered like four meals for today and yesterday for last night and today and so i'm uh all set as long as this doesn't continue on for the next day or two uh just hanging out today you know reading some books i got a kickstart on my my tax return so that was fun just living the dream over here what's uh what's going on over there tom snow days used to be more fun no doubt about it (laughs) um yeah didn't do a whole lot today um beyond binge watching a television program on apple Ooh. tv plus the after party and uh i know you watched the first three episodes as well so we're going to get into that in the the back half of the program in our in our other segment what else is on um which is kind of an, an appropriate segment to have these days with how poorly the knicks are playing um but yeah, no, today was, it was a pretty low-key day. I did walk my dog around the block, and it was just a tundra out there, just like s- snow swirling and like little mini tornadoes, and it was kind of like a little whiteout. It was, yeah, not pretty. Much, much nicer to be, to be inside, even if you're talking about the Knicks. Definitely. Yeah, which, which we can do here. Um, so, Kenny, we predicted last week – that we that the Knicks would go one and two, I think. I think we were a little optimistic, and we we figured that the Knicks would pull one game out between the the road contests in Cleveland, in Miami, and in Milwaukee. Um, that wasn't the case. The Knicks lost all three on the road. Um, the last two losses in Miami and Milwaukee were were really blowouts, and were not all that much fun to watch. I think. Um, neither of us watched those fourth quarters for, for good reason because um, it was just garbage time. The only competitive game was, was the Cleveland one. Um, but I'll ask you, like, was there anything that, that jumped out to you this past week, anything from a, a narrative standpoint or anything on the court that you want to start with here? Uh, I don't know, Tom. I feel like you, you kind of said everything with how – bad this was like the Cleveland game I really feel like they needed to want win and they definitely had the opportunity to do that uh they just didn't close it out and so that that was a real kind of gut check and then you go into the the next two games against two very good teams and uh it it didn't go well it just didn't go well Tom yeah man and it felt like the Knicks were gonna win that game I don't know like in Cleveland like I was I was pretty confident in that um, but you know, down the stretch of it, I- I'm trying to remember kind of what exactly was the the death knell for the for the squad here. Um, and 
I know like some people probably thought that Julius Randle was doing too much ISO. I feel like that's kind of always what people are complaining about down the stretch. Um, but to me, there was a play coming out of a timeout. I think there was like, I want to say there was like five minutes left or was it like four, four minutes left in the game when we were coming out of a timeout and there was just no continuity, no organization. And it ended with IQ launching like a 30 footer with like 17 yeah. seconds left on the shot clock. It was just, it was terrible offense. And it was just, it was the last thing that the Knicks needed. Um, yeah, yeah, that, that, that wasn't great. I think the, the biggest thing, and it was much talked about, including by RJ Barrett was the free throw shooting. Like the Knicks, the Knicks were down all game. They made a good comeback and like they had an opportunity to, to, to win it at the end, but they shot 11 of 21 from the free throw line in a two point loss, which is bad. And yeah. like that, that's been kind of a recurring theme the last few weeks. And I don't know what the deal is because they have, you know, historically pretty good free throw shooters. And I think, you know, RJ Barrett uh, isn't that great. And Julius Randle last year was very good, but other than that, hasn't been that great. But like Alec Burks was one of the top free throw shooters in the league. And he just started missing a bunch of free throws recently. So like, I, I have no idea. There's no explanation for it, uh, but it's something that's going on. Yeah, and just to go back and correct the, what I was saying before, it was actually a minute and 12 seconds left. Knicks were down by three when quickly launched that 35-footer, according to basketball reference, um, and that, that was brutal. But, yeah, man, the, the free throws have been super frustrating. Um, you know, I, I looked it up, and in the last 15 games, the Knicks have been the worst free-throw shooting team in the league, um, and it's, it's by a pretty substantial margin. So – you know, those numbers aren't surprising, but it just kind of confirms what we're seeing out there. And it, it is, you know, it makes you wonder whether it's just like a psychological mental thing with this team. That's, it's probably that. Um, what else could it be? We know, to your point, we know these guys can make free throws and the fact that they aren't and that it's uh, kind of rampant throughout this squad. It makes you think that there's just something kind of in this team's DNA right now that's, that's causing them to miss. Yeah. And I think that, that was exactly kind of where I was headed with this is I think a lot of this team's struggles are psychological. And like I said at the beginning of the season that it was going to take time for this team to gel and right about the time I would have expected them to gel is when like everyone started coming down with COVID and missing a week or two. And so there's been no continuity this season. Uh, I think Tibbs at some point in the last week after one of the games, like pointed that out. And I think a lot of people brushed it off, but like I fully buy into that because I thought it before he said it. It's just like there has been no cohesiveness. They brought in two like ball dominant players into the offensive uh, regime in uh, Fournier and, and Kemba Walker, and like they just haven't had the chance to gel. And eventually, like after how long it's been into the season, like I think people are starting to get frustrated. You see it with Julius Randle a lot that like he's getting frustrated and it gets in, I think it's getting into their heads and that's why they're, they're not making a lot of shots. And particularly from the free throw line, like that's a place where you have complete control. Like no one's guarding you. It's the same every game. Like it's, it should be like a pretty good situation for you to be in, to, to be at the free throw line and the Knicks just aren't making those. And I think it's a hundred percent psychological. 
Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where I think fans are like, just go go practice free throws, go shoot more free throws. And I really don't think it's a reps thing. Like these guys are professionals. And yet with Mitch, it probably is. And I think that Mitch, Mitch's struggles at the line, they make sense given his form. Um, and he's been getting to the line a lot. You know, opponents aren't willing to just let him dunk on them anymore. They're sending him to the line. And he's definitely been dragging the, uh, the percentages down. But at the same time, to your point, other guys are missing, guys who typically make their free throws. So, um, I don't know. You hope to see that turnaround. But, yeah, I mean, there was a lot to be, to be frustrated about this, this past week and, and beyond, frankly. But, um, yeah, I mean, looking at the, at, through the Cavs box score, I mean, R.J. Barrett continued some, some pretty strong play. He finished with 24 points, uh, five boards, four assists to just one turnover. Like, that's a strong game from R.J., and I think you have to be I mean, free throws aside because like, I mean, he shot five of 10 from the free throw line in a game that they lost by two. You can very easily make the case that that's the difference in the ball game right there. Um, but, you know, missed free throws aside, RJ has been playing well. And I think that his, his mindset has been good and his attacking mindset and getting others involved too. So um, I don't know. Are you, how are you feeling about RJ Barrett, his, uh, his status right now? And RJ is one of the few bright spots on the Knicks. Like he's still a little inconsistent. He still hasn't been, uh, he's been a little up and down in terms of like efficiency, but the numbers are there. Like I, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I feel like most of the last, I'll say 15 games, I'd say RJ Barrett was probably the Knicks leading scorer. The more majority of those. And uh, like he is still putting in the effort that you want to see. And that's not what we're seeing from Julius Randle. I think Julius Randle's been getting lost sometimes, and and uh, RJ's really stepped up to to fill that void. And you know that, that's what the Knicks want to see. But you know, at the same time, uh, not winning games, I'm sure is is getting into to everyone's heads. Yeah, man. We'll we'll talk about Randle. I'm sure at length uh, pretty soon here. But I mean, RJ, he's he's just been kind of people use the phrase like turning a corner or making a leap. And then we've seen stretches like this from him before, but I want to say this is like the longest sustained period of just like solid basketball. Um, you know, he, he does a great job of punishing smaller defenders. The Miami game, like Jimmy Butler is just a strip tough matchup for him. You know, like Butler kind of is similar to RJ in a lot of ways, just better in every facet. So um, that, that has always been a tough matchup for, for RJ. Um, and then the Bucks, kind of similarly. I mean, RJ, what, he, you can't knock Barrett's aggressiveness and his like assertiveness. He took twenty shots in Milwaukee, just made six of them. That's that's not so good. He was three of twelve on uh, on twos. So you want to see better efficiency around the rim, just smarter um, shot selection too. I think sometimes he'll challenge bigger guys, even if he doesn't have the angle. But for the most part, like RJ's, he hasn't been passive like we saw at, uh, in stretches at the beginning of the season. Yeah, and uh, just looking at his last three game stretch, he's averaging twenty one point three points per game, which by far leads the Knicks. The next next leading scorer on the Knicks over the last three games uh, is Evan Fournier with thirteen. So <laughs> that twenty one point three is big, and it's also pretty efficient shooting. He's shooting forty four point seven from the field and forty one point two percent from the from three-point line on 5.7 attempts, which is good. And it's like, 
like you said, this has been a prolonged thing for him. Uh, I, I mentioned the last 15 games. I think he was probably the leading scorer. Most of them just looked it up. Nine of the last 15 games, he was the leading scorer. Which that's leaves most six. Of them. Yeah, that's most of them. So that leaves six that he wasn't. More concerning on that is uh, it has been 15, 16, 17, 18 games since Julius Randle was the next leading scorer. And I know I keep coming back to Randle, but that strikes me as odd. Oh, look, I mean, we, we have to talk about him. as the <clears throat> elephant in the room, and like, I think we've probably gone as long as we can without talking about him. He's, he's been just bad. He's, he's been – not only has he been bad, he's just been kind of like toxic on the, on the floor. It seems like his, his energy hasn't been up. Um, he's not – he's just not – you hate to sit here and like critique someone for not competing, right, because these guys are, are professionals and um, it's their livelihood and all that. But you see the video clips going around going viral. Um, Tommy Beer just put out a newsletter that um, the title of it was like, Thibodeau need to send a message by benching Julius Randle. And in that newsletter, he showed five consecutive plays in the fourth quarter, and all five of them were basically Julius Randle dogging it um, against Milwaukee. And granted, the game was pretty much out of hand, I feel like, at that point. There was kind of a fake comeback there, but, um, you know, classic Knicks stuff. But, look, Julius is – this is probably the nadir of his season, right? Like this is as bad as we've seen him play. I'm looking at the stats right now. And if you, you check out like the last 10 games, he's averaging 14 points per game. I mean, 14.8 points per game, shooting 38% from the field, 25% from three. He's averaging five assists to three and a half turnovers. Like it's, it's just, he, I tweeted the other day, the game looks like it's just moving so fast for him. I remember last year he was reading the game really well, making the right reads, and the game seemed to like have slowed down. But it seems like this year he's jumping in the air and not – last year he jumped in the air too before he made a ton of passes. Problem is that this year he's not finding the right reads before he comes down, and he's turning the ball over a ton, leading to live ball turnovers. He's not getting back in transition. He's frustrated. He's slumping his shoulders. And – there's very little silver lining to it. Like there's very little for me to point to and be like, Hey, there's hope because of this. So Kenny, can you provide any of that hope on the Julius Randall front? I don't know that it's hope so much as I think a lot of, uh, a lot of stuff has been overblown. And I know you sent around a clip to our, our uh, group chat this morning, uh, which was a clip of OB um, guarding or blocking Middleton shot, but potentially blocking and then uh, falling to the floor, trying to save the ball. And, like, someone said that it looks like Randall looks at uh, Obi and then just, like, turns away instead of helping him up, and then Kemba Walker and someone else uh, go to help him up. I don't think that was the case in that video. Um, I think that in that video, Randall's talking to the ref, and he's just, like, frustrated and, like, turns his head but doesn't see Obi. So, like, there's things like that that I think are starting to get into his head because, like, he is facing a lot of criticism. Some of it is warranted, but a lot of it isn't. Like, stuff like that just isn't warranted. But there are, like you said, uh, I'm sure Tommy Beer's stuff was pretty, uh, pretty damning because I've seen videos of, of Randall just, like, not doing anything on defense. And those concern me. But if we're also going to get mad about nothing, like, you're doubling up on the criticism and it's just not necessary. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, 
I think that yours might be a, a somewhat generous interpretation. I actually, I, I thought that he did see Obi. I, I thought that like, I paused it. I, I looked at it and I was like, his head is really looking at Obi here. I would be surprised if he didn't see his teammate on the ground there. So, I mean, if you look at the, the Talking Knicks tweet, um, I tweeted a clearer video because what the tweet that was going around was like a blurry video of someone using a cell phone to uh, video their TV, which you can't really see anything. And you can see him, like, Middleton gets tangled up with him, and it looks like it's possible, you can't really tell, but Middleton might have knocked the ball out, not Randall, uh, and the Bucks had the ball. And I, I looked at both the, the ESPN and the MSG feed, and, like, it sounds like he's just saying – come on to the ref and he like is clear you can see his lips moving talking to the ref and he's looking to the right at the ref and then he like gestures a little bit towards the left like where the hoop is yeah. like obi is to the left of the hoop so like he immediately turns back to the ref and i think he's having a conversation with a ref like you can't see his eyes so i think bottom line his eyes are looking to the right his head turns to the left but his eyes are still looking at the ref in my opinion and it's just like maybe there's something there but like there is enough evidence that that's not what's happening that like, I'm okay with not criticizing him for that. Cause yeah, there is yeah. plenty of stuff to criticize him for, but that like, you don't know what's happening. Yeah. You don't need to make these leaps in these videos. I'm with that. Um, yeah. Like when your teammate falls, you help him up. You, you should, you know, cover a distance and run to do that. But yeah, if you don't see him fall, then, you know, I'm with you on that. Um, there are plenty of on-court, you know, between the whistles <laughs> plays to get upset enough about without doubling up on, on stuff like this and kind of assigning motivations to, to players. So I'm with you. Um, and I, and I, I do think that's fair. And I'm looking at the video now and, and it does, the video that you tweeted is, is clearer than the one that was going around. So um, yeah, I'd encourage people to go check that out if they're, if they're curious at the Talking Nick's Twitter page. Um, but yeah, like I, I was tweeting about, uh, Kemba Walker and kind of his, his place in the starting lineup. And I, I think I, I'm starting to sound like a broken record on these. Cause I was saying, you know, before Kemba was removed from the rotation that he should be relegated to the second unit. And it's because the offense, you know, when Kemba was out, the offense was starting to look a little better. I keep going back to that Pacers game when Randall and Barrett both had over 30 points. And it's because the ball was in their hands the entire time. There was no real point guard to, to take it out of their, take it out of their hands. Um, and so I went back and just like looked at how Kemba was being used in the offense. And he's basically just being asked to stand in the corner. And like, that wasn't the case against Milwaukee last night. You know, Kemba was actually running stuff and, and, um, had the ball in his hands and actually it was Randall in the first half who was kind of relegated to being a floor spacer, which we hadn't really seen a whole lot this year. And that's where you get back to the identity thing where it's like, this team is just trying to figure out what it is still. And we're just, you know, well over halfway past the the season's mark. And like, I don't know, man, I I'm still a proponent of like quickly starting at this point, but I don't have any illusions that that's going to fix everything or even, even like make a huge difference and move the needle a great deal. It, it's kind of hard to know what will beyond Randall, just playing better and playing harder. Um, I don't know, man, anything that anything you want to add to that? Yeah. And this is something we talked about last week. And like, I uh, initially wasn't on board, but I think you talked me into it because um, the whole 
point of our offseason was to address what happened with the Atlanta Hawks series, which is that uh, the Hawks were just able to hide Trey Young on Reggie Bullock. And so what the Knicks did is they got two guys who are able to create shots for themselves. So now what you have is four guys in the starting lineup who are ball dominant. And I think if you, like, like you said, if you take Kemba out and give him that a little more of that ability in the second unit and you put uh, IQ in his place, who doesn't need the ball as much and can be more of a, a standstill shooter and can also uh, is a, a better defender. Like, I think that does help the starting lineup. And it's just, it's an interesting thing that I hadn't thought about. So kudos to you for bringing it up because I think it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, telling that this is the second week in a row that we're talking about that exact same thing because things haven't really changed. Like, I don't know, the last week just felt very stagnant. And like, you know, there was a lot of speculation that the starting lineup may actually change, right? Um, because we saw in Miami just how, how poorly that starting group played. There were a lot of questions being asked. Thibodeau was, was you know, I, I saw uh, Fred Katz of The Athletic asked him specifically, like, why he continues to play the same starting lineup. There are all the clips of Jeff Van Gundy in the national game really criticizing. I mean, first of all, Tom Thibodeau is his boy, and he was still very critical of, the starting lineup in general, how it needs to get broken up, how it doesn't play with enough continuity stuff we've been saying all year, but Jeff and Gundy had a national stage to say it on. And I think that's why there was all this speculation that, Hey, the starting lineup might actually, we might actually see some, uh, some changes there and it didn't happen. So I think that's kind of leading to this feeling of, of stagnation of not a whole lot changed, but I mean, and, yeah. I'll say I would wonder how much of that is because he benched Kemba earlier in the season and now he very clearly needs Kemba to be able to play with Derrick Rose out. And so, like, I wonder, had that not happened, if he would be more com- – if he hadn't benched him completely, if he would be more comfortable putting him out on the bench uh, to come off of the bench mm. and have Emmanuel quickly starting. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, yeah, the locker room dynamics we're not privy to, but, I mean – even uh, Jonathan Macri actually reported that, you know, he'd heard some rumblings inside the organization that, that Evan Fournier really didn't, it didn't sit well with him that Kemba was removed from the rotation. He didn't think that Kemba was being treated the same as the rest of the, as the rest of the team. And I think like that caused a little rift in the locker room. Um, and, you know, Macri's got some sources there. Like I, I do, I trust him in that. And like Fournier, you hear him in post game, uh, pressers there does seem to be some angst on Fournier's part and I think the fact that he that Evan Fournier is now playing better he's kind of feeling a little emboldened I mean I'm looking at the last 15 games here uh Fournier is averaging nearly 15 points per game he's shooting almost 44 percent from three on over seven three-point attempts per game I mean that's that's some serious volume and some serious accurate I mean that's better than Reggie Bullock was doing in, in uh, large stretches last year. So like people complain about Fournier for good reason. I, I think that towards the beginning of the season, his, his effort was, was pretty bad. And he was clearly, I, I think he was kind of pouting a little bit. Maybe it was due to the Kemba uh, benching, but in recent games, you can't point to Fournier as the reason the Knicks have been losing. Yeah. And I, you know, to your point, I think Fournier has been one of their better players the last few weeks. And like to, just again to the whole point about the, the, the state that people are in and everything, and like 
Julius Randle pouting and Evan Fournier pouting. Like Kemba Walker, for his faults, has been very enthusiastic and very, you know, happy to play basketball and by all accounts, a great teammate. And so like, again, like there's a lot of locker room dynamics where do you want to put him on the bench and continue to play Julius Randle while Julius Randle is like not looking particularly enthusiastic to be there? Like, it does it send the wrong message? Like, I don't know. Like it's, yeah. it's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of dynamics that like we can, we can talk about the X's and O's and say how things look on paper, but like, these are real people, so the dynamics are, aren't as easy as all of that. Yeah, and I guess we should talk about some more just kind of rosier, more positive stuff. And I think that the shining beacon right now we have is, is Quentin Grimes. I mean, he's, he's been awesome. He's been a, a very strong two-way player. He has earned Tibbs' trust. And so well, and it's funny because I think that when Knicks fans see Tibbs, his willingness to play these rookies, these young guys – you know, that, go, that shows us that he, he doesn't just have some blind spot for, for young players. You know what I mean? Like, it, he has shown that he will trust young guys who prove it to him. And so, I don't know, I, I think it's funny, just the, kind of the juxtaposition between Quentin Grimes and, say, Obi Toppin, where, you know, fans are, are kind of – a lot of Knicks fans are going crazy, saying we want to see more Toppin minutes, especially in light of Randall's struggles. Um, but at the same time, like – I mean, Quentin Grimes went out and earned this rotation spot uh, beyond any doubt. You know, the Knicks went out and acquired Cam Reddish. He can't even see a minute because Quentin Grimes has, has really forced Tibbs' hand. Like, he, he deserves to be out there. Uh, Grimes is, is shooting over 40% on four-and-a-half three-point attempts per game over the last 15 games. He's got incredible range. He's playing really hard defense, getting into guys' jerseys. And I know Grimes is your kind of guy. Yeah, Grimes is my kind of guy. I love guys who play hard defense, and I love guys who shoot threes, and Grimes does both of them. And he, you know, he has that New York fan favorite uh, type of game where, like, he just goes hard all the time, and he makes the right plays. And I, I know you did the, a thread maybe a week or two ago about, you know, how under, undervalued his passing has been, but he's just a good all-around player, and he seems to make the right plays. Like, he's not overthinking things. He's not, like, holding the ball. He's not one of the guys who's, you know, going one-on-one every time down. He's, he's a team player, and he fits into the system, and he's doing everything he can to, to kind of get the most out of his minutes for the team rather than for himself, which is, I think, the Knicks fans' biggest gripe with a lot of the players on the Knicks. Yeah, and, and you can see a world where Grimes' uh, role becomes too big for what he's ready for. Like, I, even in Milwaukee last night, he, I think he ran a pick-and-roll and threw a terrible uh, cross-court pass that got picked um, for a layup going the other way. And, you know, he had a couple turnovers in Milwaukee and, and Milwaukee's a tough matchup. Like they are just very long and athletic between Giannis and Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton. Um, you know, they've got a lot of length on the, on the wing there, but um, overall, like Grimes has been awesome. Like it, it, there's almost not a whole lot else to say about him. Um, maybe you'd like to see him get to the free throw line more, but these are just nitpicks because like, He's just been a joy. He's been a joy to watch. He spreads the floor. Like, he can hit threes from four or five feet behind the arc. Like, he, he has to be guarded out there. Um, and so, yeah, he's, uh, he's been a lot of fun. I, I mentioned Obi Toppin before, kind of in contrast to Quentin Grimes. I, I think a lot of Knicks fans would say, hey, Toppin's playing really well these last few games. Why is he still just getting the 15, 16 minutes per game? What's going on? So, Kenny, what – 
what's your take on the on I mean against Milwaukee he only played 14 minutes and that's come and that's coming right after a game where he uh had he was the Knicks leading scorer against Miami he had 18 points in 21 minutes shot seven and nine from the field had five boards um so you know he followed up that performance with with getting you know kind of just 14 minutes of play and didn't really get a a huge role in the offense. So, Kenny, what's your take on where Obi Toppin's at right now? I mean, I think it's similar to what you were just saying about Quentin Grimes potentially, you know, getting too much of a role and it kind of detracting from his play. And that's the concern with Obi Toppin because as good as Obi Toppin's been and like the last few games, he's been hitting threes. And if he could do that, he's a completely different player. But what we have seen up until that point, both last year and this year is like, he's not a good shooter. He's not a good passer. He's not a good dribbler. So, like, it really limits what he can do. So, he – and we've talked about it in the past. Like, offensively, he either needs to get out on the break, he needs to um, get, like, offensive rebounds and go up, or, like, he is able to capitalize on people's mistakes. Like, we've seen a couple times where no one guards him from the three-point line and just, okay, I'll dribble it in and dunk it. So, like, that's what he's able to do. If you put him in a position where he has to do more than what he's able to do, which is, like, cutting for buckets, like getting secondary buckets, but not creating for himself. It's not going to be a good position for him to succeed just because he's not capable of that at this point in his career. And, and Kenny, I, th- I think that's all okay. Um, and I, I completely agree that, I mean, Obi is just so different from Randall as far as the advantages that they can create, but I don't want to undersell what Obi does in the half court either, just because I mean, I'm, I'm looking at the stats here. And I tweeted this out like, that the Knicks score 10.6 points per 100 possessions more in the half court when Obi's on the floor versus when he sits. And I think a big part of that is – part of it is, yes, um, you know, Obi plays with other guys who do share the ball, and there's some of that. But Obi is – the word that we keep using on, on the internet here is he's a connector. Like, he's, he's constant movement, right? He doesn't sit and hold the ball. He gets it, and he gets a, goes right into a dribble handoff. And then he cuts. Like, he's constantly moving. And the Knicks offense, first of all, I think that they, they cut the least of any team in the NBA, which is frustrating. Um, but Obi is one of the rare guys in this squad who will actually cut to the basket and cut with purpose. Um, and that when he does cut, defenses have to react to him because he's just so strong around the basket. So um, I, I think that, to your point, Obi shouldn't be used in a Randall-like way. That would be doing him a disservice. But can he just get more minutes in his current role as this connector, as the guy who's just moving the ball? And, um, you know, I, I think he hit a few threes this past week, which was encouraging to see, but it's not something we can count on him to do at this point. And that's tough, right? Like if you're going to be a power forward, it would be much easier for Obi to get minutes if he can consistently hit three-point shots and spread the floor that way. He can't, he can't do that at this point in his career. But he can just move the ball, set screens, cut, get offensive rebounds, and just kind of, uh, you know, someone replied to me on Twitter today saying he adds a, um, a piece of randomness to the offense. It's just that's what it is. It's a little variability. It's a little just a little spice <laughs> into the mix because the Knicks offense can be quite bland sometimes. And I think it's something that we might have talked about months ago, weeks ago, but how many more minutes are we talking about? Because one of his strengths is that, you know, he's high energy and he goes 
pretty hard the entire time he's out there. So the question is, how much longer can he sustain it? And like I, I think he, that that's a question worth trying to answer. Like, <laughs> let's see. I mean, let's test the upper limits of it. I, what do we have to lose? It's not, like, it's not like his counterpart is going out there and lighting the world on fire. There's no – I don't see a great deal of downside to giving Obi Toppin – I mean, what if you gave Obi Toppin 25 minutes per game? I, I, and I, before we start recording, I said 21. But even then, what if we – I mean, let's – we're at the I point mean, I, of the season where I feel like we should start trying some different stuff because what we're doing – isn't working and I'm, I'm happy to to try different stuff but like there is downside to it and it's the same thing i brought up with like having burks be the point guard and like burks is not playing well and doesn't look like the same player that he was and how much of that is because he was asked to do something that he shouldn't have been asked to do in the first place i don't know and then you get into the whole mental aspect of like is is it mental or is it like an actual he's just not playing well i don't know and that's what i worry about particularly with young players, is putting them in a position to fail, them failing, and then not recovering. I, I agree, but if you look at it from a different perspective where Obi does seem to be – he has a short leash. Like, he gets pulled after mistakes. We see him make mistakes, and he doesn't seem to be allowed to make mistakes. And he gets the early hook where, like, that could be frustrating too, right, for a player. Like, you want to be able to play through some mistakes – and, and learn from them, right? Um, and so I, I think, personally, I would like to see Obi say, I think he's averaging just under 16 minutes per game right now. If you're averaging 21 to 22 minutes per game, I think that that would be very reasonable, and I don't think it would be asking for him to do too much because there are other guys on this team who aren't doing as much as they can. Who I mean, Evan Fournier, to me, is another guy who can – create more offense. Um, Kemba Walker in, in the right role should be he, uh, Benji Ritholtz of the Strickland and, and Nick film school tweeted. I mean, said like, what, what happened to the double drag screen for Kemba Walker? He used to like in semi transition, bring the ball up and get two screens and then be able to like pull up for three or drive or like make a play. Kemba Walker doesn't get double drags anymore. Kemba Walker is mostly relegated to, like I said before, um, kind of just doing a DHO and running to the corner. It's, it's got to be frustrating for him. So I think that if, if Obi were to get more minutes, it could be with, some, with someone like Kemba who could run the show more. Yeah, and I think this is similar to what you were saying last, year, last week with the IQ and the Kemba switch-up. Is like, you're making a lot of sense to me because we talked earlier about you know, we have a lot of guys who are capable of creating offense, and I think giving them more opportunity with a guy like Obi who doesn't demand the ball to do anything. Like, I think that, you know, opens up some of their offensive potential as well. So I think you well, might and, be onto something here. Well, and Fournier said it in the postgame presser. He said, like, <clears throat> there's no reason that this, that this team shouldn't be able to score. He said, let's be honest, we have guys who can score. He's talking about himself, too. Like, he, he wants the ball in his hands. And he, even against Milwaukee at times, like, I, I don't have the – I could pull up the stat right now and see how he did, like, assist-wise. He had three assists to no turnovers. Um, I mean, I thought Fournier looked good with the ball in his hands, and he actually yeah. is a decent passer. And I think – no, I think that's, that's the problem that the Knicks have in the starting lineup is they have four guys who are all capable of, you know, running the offense, holding the ball, like creating offense for themselves and others, and all of them want it. And, you know, it's hard to divvy that up. So, um, you know, to your point of having IQ come into the starting lineup to help alleviate some of that, 
and maybe have Obi play a little more with some of those guys while other of those guys aren't in, I think that that is not a bad idea. Um, but like, a shot, but, um, like I said, the, the whole reason for this was for us to beat the Hawks after the whole Reggie Bullock situation. And the Knicks have beat the Hawks in every game that they played, so they've been successful. We got that going for us. They beat the Hawks in every game in the regular season last year, too, though, I would point out. Um, or uh, certainly they won the season series. They won the season series. I don't know if they won every game. It's possible. Um, but, yeah, I don't know, Kenny. Last thing we could talk about on the Knicks front, uh, Cam Reddish. Before we started recording, you said you didn't really care that Cam Reddish wasn't getting minutes. Um, I don't know. I you think, yeah. To defend that? Yeah, I think the hype of Cam Reddish is way more than – Cam Reddish is actually deserving of. Um, and, like, he's, he also hasn't played with the Knicks. And, like I said earlier, chemistry is an actual thing, particularly with this team. And, like, having a guy just come in, like, I don't know how well that's going to work. So maybe give him some time to acclimate. And then if he earns some, some time in uh, practice, that's fine. If not, like, I don't particularly care. Uh, he's, like, like, I, like we said last week, like, his best position would probably be taking Obi's minutes and Obi's playing well right now. So like, where does he fit into this rotation? I don't really know. So like it, we have, you know, the rest of the season to figure this out and the trade that deadline to potentially have some, uh, some space open up for him in the rotation. And then, you know, potentially injuries down the se- throughout the season. Like there's going to be time for him to get minutes. I just don't know that I care that he's not playing right now. And, if he doesn't end up playing at all, like, I'm not that worried about it. Yeah, I mean, look, I, uh, I think I've been a Cam skeptic as far as his, his play and, you know, how much value he actually adds. But, you know, the Knicks did give up potentially a first-round pick for him. I mean, even if it ends up being a later first-round pick, like, like I said, the Knicks have shown that they pick well <laughs> late in the first round. Quentin Grimes, case in point. Like, Emmanuel Quickly, late in the first round. These are – these are very talented guys who can help teams win games who are picked late in the first round. And the Knicks gave up potentially a late, late first round pick. That's not nothing. Um, and even if it ends up being a couple seconds, Deuce McBride was a second. Like who knows how like, this front office seems to know how to scout talent in that area. Um, so it's not like the Knicks gave up nothing to acquire Cam Reddish. And I believe that that Reddish's rookie contract is up. Is it? They can offer him an extension after this season. Is that right? I think I mean, that's true. And then, but they don't have to. And then I think after next season, he, I believe he'd be a restricted free agent. Or, so or like, would he? No, after next season, he'd be an unrestricted free agent, right? After next season. I thought it was after. No, I thought I, so. There would be a qualifying offer. Mm. Yeah, yeah, to, you're right. Yeah, yeah. That's right. That's right, Kenny. So. Bottom line is I think that what you hear a lot of people talk about is that the Knicks should be getting information on this player, seeing how he performs on the court and kind of what his strengths, what his weaknesses, what his role could be. Um, And that the more time he spends on the bench, the less information you're collecting on him to inform your decision, whether to give him this contract. Um, I don't know. I I have a hard time getting too worked up about it as well. I'm, I'm playing a little bit of devil's advocate. Um, but you know, the, the Knicks didn't give up nothing for him, you know? Yeah. And I mean, his, the tools he has are tantalizing, but like this comes down to the same thing I said last week. Like 
there have been plenty of guys that the Knicks picked up who were underperforming at other places, and the Knicks were con- the Knicks fans were convinced that this was going to happen. This was going to be the place where it was going to work out. And like the people I mentioned were Dennis Smith Jr., Emmanuel Mudiay, and like Anthony Randolph, Mario Hazonia, Mario Hazonia. Sure, like all of those people didn't have it work out in other places. Like. Maybe maybe it's different for Cam Reddish. Cam Reddish does have the tools to be a very effective NBA player, but we haven't seen it yet. And most of the time, like players are who they are, like from what we see. So like yeah. I'm not like if and again like I, th- I think we have another year to figure it out. So it's not that pressing a need, but like it's not like I'm just not that worried about it, particularly right now when the Knicks are trying to figure out what's going on and like how to win a game. Yeah, and I, I wasn't worried to begin with, but you talked me down even further, so I uh, I don't care at all. But um, it doesn't I, matter. I know I said that was the last thing. Um, I mean, we we're gonna have more time to talk about the trade deadline, right? Like, I mean, what else is there really gonna be to talk about? I mean, I mean, we can we can do a quick trade deadline. I don't know that there's anything to talk about right now. Like, there's speculation that uh, the Knicks could be willing to move several of, them, of their veterans. Kemba Walker, Alec Burke's name were mentioned. Uh, I don't know if someone else. Fournier was mentioned. Fournier, and then a separate report, uh, someone said that they would be willing to trade Randall for the right price. I'm like, yeah, I think I Ian think Begley. I think Begley reported that, I believe. And, and he's, I mean, he was early on the reddish news. Like, Begley's plugged in. So we can't just, like, you know, poo-poo whatever Ian Begley is reporting. But I, I mean, for the right price is the – Yeah. That's, that's – for the right price, literally every player in the NBA is available for the right price. Like, there is no player that someone wouldn't trade if they got a ridiculous return. So, like, that means nothing. Like, I think, you know, is it possible they, they move on from Randall? Yes, I don't expect it. Uh, just because, like, right now I feel like you would be selling so low and, like, just dumping salary and hoping that he's not actually going to be good, where I, I think – like Tib said, and like I said earlier in this episode, there, this has been a very weird season. Uh, like things just haven't the Knicks, the Knicks haven't had the opportunity to to mesh, and now like it's a mental thing, I think. So like I just I don't know where that ends up. Yeah, I you know I wouldn't be upset to see Burks and Kemba be moved um, just to open up some more playing time for some of the younger guys and. Um, I think we would see Reddish in that situation. I don't think it would make the team materially better. I think it might actually make the team worse. Um, but given the stretch that we're about to go through in this schedule, um, just how difficult it's going to be, we're getting to the point where, like, the Knicks even challenge, even getting into the play-in game is becoming unlikely. Like, I, I think that it's almost like less – likely than it is like you know what i mean like it's right now they're the 12th seed in the east um they are how many games back they're a full just one game back from the wizards they have the hawks in between them at the 11th seed um but the key thing is this upcoming stretch is going to be brutal so it's like do you just kind of is it okay to start to pivot into tank mode play the young guys like is that where we are uh, I mean, how, when, when's the trade deadline? Cause I feel like it's, that's going to figure itself out in the next few weeks, which are, as you said, brutal. Yeah. The, the trade deadline is February 10th. So we've yeah. got just, we've got under two weeks now. 
yeah. So I think the next few weeks might, might determine that. And then there might, you might see deadline uh, moves in one way or the other, but I think right now there, like where there are a game out of the, the play in. And then I think five, uh, they're, they're heavily out of the six seed race. It looks like they're uh, seven games out. So like that is like unlikely, um, like we'll, we'll see what happens, but um, I, I don't think we know right now. Yeah, the six seed being the Philadelphia, and Philadelphia is just two and a half games back from the one seed. Like it is, it's crowded up there at the top. There are a lot of quality teams at the top of the Eastern Conference, and so I don't know. I, I don't think we have any real illusions about what this Knicks team is going to be or what it even can potentially be. So you know, even if the Knicks do scrape their way to the the ten spot, like are they going to really? I don't know. I'm I'm skeptical that I, I think that this team kind of is where it is at this point. And what I'm looking for is the development of the continued development of RJ Barrett, Quentin Grimes continuing to impress just some, and, and quickly, man, we need to see quickly start hit, hitting some shots. He was one for 10 in that Cleveland game. Like I think he's shown some poise as a point guard. He's shown some ability to, whether it's get to the rim or take mid-range jump shots instead of these 15-foot floaters. I, I like what I've seen from Quickly, but he has to start making some jumpers because uh, it, it's been kind of ugly lately. But. All right, man. Well, yeah. I, think, I think that's enough Knicks talk. I think that's plenty. Plenty. I'm, I'm all Knicks talked out. So I Too much, in my opinion. Frankly, it, it really was. We can, we can go to everyone's favorite sub-podcast, and that's what else is on? And Kenny, you and I have both been watching Apple TV's The After Party. All right. This stars Tiffany Haddish, Ben Schwartz, Sam Richardson. Um, it's uh, Ike Barinholtz, I should mention, another client of my, my agency. Probably should have led with the, those three covert clients. But either way, um, I don't know. I'm, I'm really enjoying it. It's a, it's a whodunit murder mystery slash comedy for those. So we could talk about it generally and then get into a little a spoiler action and, and start yeah. some, uh, some speculation, I, but yeah, yeah, Kenny, are I, you liking it? Yeah, I think, and I think that's the, the right approach to this is to give some general background and then uh, we can give some, we can get into some spoilers. So people who haven't seen it uh, can, can shut it off if they want to. Uh, but basically, there's been three episodes released so far, and each episode is done in a different style, which is fun. Uh, like the the first one is a rom com style, the second one is like an action movie style, and the third one uh, is a musical style. And uh, but all of them very funny, and it all blends together, uh, comes together very nicely. And like right now, I'm very interested, and a lot of a lot of good stuff happening. Man, it is. It's a funny kind of conceit for every episode to have its own have its own style right because we saw in in the first episode one character gives a point of view that's kind of like an indie independent movie sort of weird and it, it just gives you a taste of where they're going and then it gets into the rom-com segment and it's yeah it, every episode every character like you said gets their own episode and um it's kind of based around their personalities and um but you kind of start to see what and the the way it, the show starts and this isn't a spoiler this happens in the trailer for the show so um it's after a it's the after party of a high school graduation and 
the famous classmate who's hosting the after party falls off a balcony of his home and dies. Reunion party. What did I, I you said I think you said graduation party, but reunion party. Definitely reunion. They are older than. They are our age. <laughs> they are exactly. It is their fifteenth fifteenth reunion, which we, will we be us in soon. They are the class of '06. We are the class of '07. So yeah, um, yeah the, it was a reunion after party, and uh, yeah, the, a famous person, the host of the party, gets pushed off. You know, supposedly or allegedly or you know, presumptively gets pushed off of his his deck falls to his death and the rest of the show is trying to piece together who did it each episode you're kind of figuring out different motivations for individual characters uh little clues little easter eggs and it has been delightful um is is there like a favorite character you have so far uh they're all good i think you know i think probably our whole podcast has the soft spot for sam richardson based on his uh his relationship with uh, Tim Robinson and, and I think you should leave. So he's, he's been very funny. I mean, I think Tiffany Haddish in the particular in the first episode, I found her like approach very funny. Yeah. Uh, like it's all, it's all gold and all of it's, all of it's good. Ben Schwartz also very funny. Like all of them. It, it's a lot of good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So highly, we highly recommend this show. If you haven't checked it out yet, uh, we, we urge you to do so. We're going to, talk just real quickly on some theories that we have. So if you haven't, if you haven't watched it, you probably want to go ahead and, and shut this off. But Kenny, let's get to the meat of it. Who do you think did the murder? Uh, right now, uh, I think, and Greg said the same thing. We're, we're both uh, fans of the guy who I can't even remember. Walt. <laughs> Walt, the, the guy who just, he's just there. No one knows who he is. He's never been, like none of them remember him. Uh, but he's just there and trying to make an impression. And he said very early in the first episode, like, it's going to make people remember him. Yeah. And it made me wonder if, do you think that Walt actually was a classmate of theirs? Or is he just a strange, like, I mean, I guess you almost have to assume he was because he was allowed into the party, right? You had the, wasn't the Jennifers, the, the pregnant Jennifers yep. who yep. were giving out name tags. Um, I think, you know, security problem and there was security at the after party you would think that walt wouldn't be let in if he weren't like you know at least invited but i i did wonder that because ben schwartz's no. character asked like so what's the deal here did you actually go to school with us and i you know i i wouldn't trust any of that to to prove that he did actually go there because he could have snuck the, snuck in had a conversation got invited to the after party like i don't know he's an and odd like, duck. he's weird. he's not he's an odd guy but like i'm I also should say I'm not at all like positive that that's the situation. That's just my leading sp suspect based on what I've seen. Um, but like, it's very unclear. And I, I, I'll have to admit, like there was a point where I was watching this and like, there is something about maybe his eyes that I thought looked very similar to, to Dave Franco's eyes. And so I thought it might've been like Dave Franco and CGI. So I actually had to go into IMDb to, to make sure it wasn't. And it wasn't. Um, but the I actor thought that playing Walt, you're saying? Yeah. Oh, no, yeah. yeah. He was in Fleabag. I remember I, I saw him in, uh, in Fleabag. But, he was, yeah. And, but there was like a couple times where I got glimpses of like, that looks, there's something about it that reminds me of James Franco that like it might have been a CGI thing. And this was all, but that is very wrong because he's his own person, apparently. So um, I'm just letting you know that like, that's, that's where my mind went. 
So who who's your current suspect? Yeah, I, I think Walt's a very good one. Um, you know, the next episode, so the first three episodes dropped, the next episode is going to be Alana Glazer's episode. And I think that she clearly has revenge on her mind. She's brought up multiple times some incident with Xavier, which is um, Dave Franco's character who, who is murdered. Um, she brings up multiple times some incident at St. Patrick's Day that has her really upset. And, you know, she's clearly, her life has become derailed for, for reasons we don't know. She was, used to be the class president, and now she's like kind of struggling to, to get by day to day. So there's some backstory there that we're going to get. Um, I, I think that she, she seemed adamant on seeing him. And from what we can tell, she was the last one to see him. That's kind of been implied. So if I were a betting man, I would probably put the money on Alana Glazer right now. Yeah, I mean, that would be, that's probably my second guess. Uh, I think she's also been walking around real mad-eye moody-like, just drinking sips out of this suspicious-looking little canteen flask. So, like, there's there's something suspicious going on there with the flask. Like, we, and I I think uh, at the end of maybe the last episode, it was uh, a a focal point, but uh, we'll... We'll see what happens. Like I'm, I'm hooked. I gotta, I gotta find out who done it. Do you think, so the second episode uh, focused on Ike Barinholtz. He was kind of this possessive ex-husband of Zoe, the, the, you know, presumptive uh, romantic lead, at least in, in Sam Richardson's story. And so like, there was obviously a lot of anger coming from Ike Barinholtz's character. He seemed to like actually threaten Dave Franco and uh, like he could have, there seemed to be some implication he could actually do it, but, at this point, he was almost exonerated to a, to a degree. Like, it just doesn't seem like he was, he was culpable here. Yeah, and I feel like from every person's story that goes, like, you feel like they aren't the one, uh, just because, I mean, it's their perspective. Uh, but I'm, I'm wondering how they do that with uh, Alana Glazer, cause, just because, like, she's a strong suspect. But I think there's going to be a twist in there that it's like, no, it's not what you think it is. And, and we talked about that offline, but we don't have to get into it here. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, everyone seems to have seen Alana Glazer go upstairs with Dave Franco, right? Like, I mean, but it was the same with uh, Sam Richardson. Like everyone thought it was him. And then uh, like he had an explanation for like, he, he screamed, Oh God, or something. Uh, and that's, yeah. And he had an explanation for that. And uh, they thought that he was the last person cause he went up there. So like, I don't know. I don't know what happens. Well, it's exciting. I, uh, yeah, the next episode drops Friday. I don't know if they're just doing one episode at a time from now on, if they drop the first three all at once and then just go weekly. Uh, maybe they'll do the Station Eleven thing where they drop two at a time after. Who knows? But um, it's fun. It's, it's a good show. Uh, if you're listening to this, you probably agree. And so if you have theories, you could tweet at us. Yeah. At talking Love to talk. Yeah. Much rather talk about that than Nick. So please yeah. tweet at us. But yeah, Kenny, this was fun. I think, I think we can go ahead and wrap up there. Go ahead. Like I said, follow us on Twitter. Uh, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a five-star rating. Leave a review. Say some nice things. Give us some, some uh, theories on what's going on in the after party. And uh, yeah, you can follow me at Tom underscore Piccolo. For Kenny Pone, I'm Tom Piccolo. Thanks for listening. And hey, let's go Knicks. Knicks take.